Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on July 21st, 2013. Today's message is titled, God's Purpose for the Church by Pastor Ryan Cochran. It is based on scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 to 13. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer as we turn to the Word of God? Lord, we give you thanks for your church, and we thank you for your plans and purposes for us. God, I pray as we look at your word in the book of Ephesians today, Lord, that we would understand better uh, what you are doing in the world through the life of your church, and Lord, how you have invited each one of us to be a part of that good work. Lord, give us eyes to see what you have for us today. In Christ's name, amen. May the Lord be with you. So our sermons over these last few weeks that Katie and I are here at Ebenezer are going to be some reflections on some of the different things that I believe that God has, has taught me and has been teaching us as a congregation over these years. And it's uh, been really great for me to look through uh, old sermons that I've preached and through my own personal journals and to reflect on some of the things that God has been saying to us. And I, I hope that I can communicate to you some of these important things so that in some way we can uh, kind of remember them and hold on uh, to them. And so that uh, whoever uh, comes next as your senior pastor, that these will be things that will be a part of this congregation and that that person will be able to build on and to, uh, to help to continue to grow and instill in the years to come. Had some very encouraging responses from uh, the sermon last week about prayer and about this gift that we have to come to our Father with requests. And I uh, heard from a lot of you the freedom that that gives to you in your prayer life. And so I praise God that He has has taught us that over these years, and continue that. Uh, hope that you will continue to know that God has given you this invitation to come to Him with all kinds of requests. He is a Father who hears us and who listens to us. Now for me, the the most life-changing sermon series that uh, I preached over the last uh, eight or nine years was on the book of Ephesians uh, that I preached about five years ago. I've always loved the book of Ephesians, uh, but these those few months preaching uh, from that book, the book really came alive to me. And ever since then, I think that Ephesians kind of creeps its way into uh, so much of my own teaching and so much of my own preaching. It's really been a book that has become a part of my own heart and very near to what I understand my calling as a pastor and uh, the calling of the church in the world. And I think the reason that it came so alive to me during that time was because of the fact that I was serving at this particular church here at Ebenezer. To my mind, there are really some unique characteristics about Ebenezer that make the book of Ephesians particularly helpful to us as we think about what the God is calling this church to be about. 
It's an encouraging book for Ebenezer because it's a book that reminds us of God's plans to bring people from different backgrounds together in unity under Christ. Here at Ebenezer, we are a very diverse group of people. We're a group of people from a wide range of ages. Uh, Every year, we celebrate new children that are born into the life of this congregation. Every year, we celebrate and remember and mourn as we say goodbye to those who have passed away. Men and women who have lived faithfully to Jesus for 70 or 80 or 90, or this year, we said goodbye to someone who had lived for 103 years, lived faithfully to Christ for over 100 years. We are a group of people from a wide range of ages, and we are a group of people from a wide range of different cultures and ethnic backgrounds. You may remember a couple of Easter's ago, we invited people um, who were born in different countries other than Canada, and we had 16 different people come here from up here from different countries and say that Jesus Christ is risen in my own home country. Uh, and then they said that also in their own home language. For a church our size, a group of 150, 175 people, that is a remarkable thing to have 16 to 20 different countries represented among us. This kind of diversity does not exist in every church. Not even in a very multicultural city like Vancouver does this kind of diversity exist. Many churches tend to attract, either intentionally or unintentionally, a particular ethnic group or a particular um, age group. Ebenezer does uniquely reflect the unity that can come through Jesus Christ as a group of people come together and decide that we're going to come under the unity of Jesus. Of course, we at Ebenezer don't reflect that unity perfectly. We have a long way to go. There are still conflicts, a lot of obstacles, a lot of barriers to this unity, but we are a picture, however imperfect, of the unity that God has planned for his people. And this unity is something that Paul talks a lot about in Ephesians. And so I think these characteristics that exist here at Ebenezer really helped Ephesians to come alive for me. To see the possibilities in the life of the church here and now to reflect the unity that God intends for his people. And also to see how difficult that is to achieve and to be able to praise God all the more for when any kind of unity actually does exist in the church, because I know how difficult, because we know how difficult it is to achieve. So today I want to preach from the book of Ephesians, and we are going to do a bit of a whirlwind tour of the book of Ephesians today. And so I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Ephesians, and we're going to be uh, walking through this entire book. And Uh, As I begin today, I actually want to begin at the very end of Ephesians. And so if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. The book of Ephesians is a book about life in the church. It is a book about the importance of our unity together as God's people. And it is a letter that describes to us the unity that God has already created right now in the heavenly places, and how that unity that God has created in the heavenly places becomes a concrete reality now in the life of the church. For me, as I was doing this sermon series on the book of Ephesians, any idea that I might have had in my mind, 
that the Christian life could be lived on my own, independently, all about my personal relationship with Jesus, just was completely broken down in my mind. The Christian life is not to be lived on our own, in our own personal relationship with Jesus. Of course, we must make a personal decision to follow Jesus. Of course, we're called to have a relationship with Jesus on our own. But that relationship is always lived in the context of a community of people called the church and in the context of God's plans and purposes for the church. And throughout the book of Ephesians, we see Paul describing this new community of people that God has created and has called together as the church. And he describes how we are to live our lives in the context of this new community. At the end of Paul's letter in Ephesians chapter 6, we hear Paul describe how deeply he understands that he is dependent on other people on the church. Today, uh, as Dan came and, and spoke with us, reminded us that we are a part of a larger group of believers called the North American Baptist Churches, and that we are unified together through our common mission, our common uh, purpose, our common hope in Christ. And when we read Paul's letters, we hear him talking a lot about this understanding of him being a part of something larger than his own self and his own ministry. I think in my own life growing up and hearing stories about Paul, I kind of often had in my mind that Paul was this kind of lone ranger. Uh, He was out there, you know, traveling all over the Roman Empire, uh, hopping on ships, traveling all across the place, you know, preaching the gospel kind of by himself. In my mind, that was kind of what I pictured. I don't know if I'm the only one, but that was kind of what I thought about Paul. But if you read the book of Acts, and if you especially closely read his letters, you see how wrong that idea is. Paul deeply understood himself to be connected with others and dependent upon others so that his work could be done. Just uh, just want to read the last few verses of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Pray also for me. Pray for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He understands that their prayers are important to him in his ministry. And then he goes on to talk about some of his faithful uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. In Paul's letters, we see how he understood that he was connected. He had all these ministry partners uh, that he trained, that he equipped, that came alongside him, and then he sent uh, to do um, uh, the work that, that God had called them to do. Paul understood that his own life and ministry was in the context of this bigger thing called the church. Working backwards a little bit in the book of Ephesians, we come to the the picture of the armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. I want to read uh, some of this for you. Uh, Verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And then he goes on to describe the different elements of the armor of God. Now, when I was a kid in Sunday school, I remember that there was this picture up on the wall of this medieval knight in a suit of armor. And on the top of that, uh, above that medieval knight, it said, the armor of God. And it had these uh, descriptions of the, uh, of the helmet and the, the breastplate and the shield and the sword. And I had in my mind uh, this armor of God that was like this medieval knight. But the problem with that picture is that medieval knights didn't exist when Paul wrote this letter. Uh, Those kinds of suits of armor that we have in our mind when we think about a knight didn't exist for about a thousand years after Paul wrote this letter. This is not the kind of armor that Paul would have been thinking about. In Paul's mind, the armor that he would have been thinking about, the armor that people who were reading this book would have been thinking about, would have been the armor of the Roman army. And the armor of the Roman army was designed very intentionally not to be used in single one-to-one combat, but was was designed to be used together in unison with the Roman legion and with the Roman line. For example, the design of the shields was so that one man who was standing on the left would cover his body and also the body of the one on his right. And the one who was standing on the right, would, uh, his shield would cover his body, uh, lower body, and the, bo- the lower body of the one on his left. The shield itself was actually useless if it was to be used on its own, on his own, in one-to-one combat. The armor of God was designed to be used in unison, together in battle. This is the image that Paul wants us to have when we're thinking about the armor of God. Not a medieval knight who goes one-on-one into battle, but the image of the Roman army standing in line together standing against the enemy. And I think that's why Paul emphasizes this idea of standing. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, so when the enemy comes, you may be able to stand your ground. If the line of the Roman army broke at at any single point, the battle was lost. But when they stood their ground in confidence that their brother on either side of them was next to them, fighting with them, protecting them, they were a force that dominated the world at that time because of the way that that army was designed. This is the image that Paul wants us to have. As the church, we have been united together in Christ for the purpose of overcoming our enemy. And this can only happen if we are unified together in Christ. We will lose the battle every time if we fight it on our own. But together, as we live our life together, as we know that our brother and sister are standing to the right and to the left of us, supporting us, as we come together to confess our sins, as we come together to worship, 
to hear the word of God, to sing praises to God together, to come around the communion table together and take of the body and blood of Christ. We are strengthened. We are empowered. We are united together to stand against the enemy. Amen? Now, this idea of standing together and being dependent on those around us goes against much of the thinking of our culture. The hero of our culture is not a person who has chosen to be dependent on another person. The hero in our culture is the young man who pulls himself up by his own bootstraps and makes something of himself, independent of anybody else. You know, over the course of my time at Ebenezer, I've had the privilege and honor to lead so many funerals of our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Ebenezer. And I've discovered the truth that in the lives of those who committed themselves to the church, committed themselves to be a reliable and committed and participating member in the life of the church, and also allowed others to help them, knew that they were dependent on others, that they were the ones who had the most impact on others. They were the ones who had the most influence. Our life is to be lived in commitment to and independence on one another in the church. And the end of the book of Ephesians teaches us this. We must be unified together as God's people. If we are going to stand against the enemy, We must be unified together. We must come to understand that we cannot do this on our own, but that we must live in dependency on others in the church. Well, let's now flip to the beginning of the book of Ephesians. I want to go to the beginning and hear about how Paul talks about how God is at work creating and making this kind of community that stands together in unity. And what Paul says in chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, is that unity together under Christ is God's plan and purpose for the whole world. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And he, that is God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. This is the mystery of God's will. If you ever wonder what God is doing, what God is about in the world, what his plans and purposes are for the world, this is it. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's what God is doing in the world. He is bringing people under the authority of Jesus. At the end of time, when time will reach its fulfillment, Paul says, God will bring all things in heaven and on earth under the authority of Jesus. For the present, at this time, Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, human beings have chosen to live according to all different kinds of authorities. We have placed placed our loyalties, we have submitted to other things, to other people, to other objects. 
We have lived according to the authority of our own sinful nature, our own sinful hearts. And God says that right now, he is working to bring all things under the authority of Jesus. And in these first two chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul describes how God is working in the life of the church to bring people under the authority of Christ. The church is called to be the group of people right now who live according to God's planned future. The church now is the group of people that has chosen, that have been chosen by God, have been predestined by God to be the people in the world now who live as if they are under the authority of Jesus. The people now in the present who are called and enabled by the Spirit of God to come together and to live our lives in holiness and peace under the authority of Jesus. That is what the church is called to do right now. And in chapter 2, Paul talks about God, how God is at work to create this unity in the church. In the first half of chapter 2, Paul talks about how God is at work bringing us together in unity with himself. And in the second part of chapter 2, Paul talks about how God is at work bringing us together in unity with one another. So he talks about how he's bringing us together in unity with himself and also in unity with one another. Let's look at the first half of chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Paul is speaking about the reality of our world and about the reality of our own lives. It says that at one time we followed other authorities. We were servants to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, following the desires and the thoughts of the spirit of the age. Paul says that all of us who are now a part of the church were at one time following that spirit blindly following the spirit of the age. But because of God's work in our life, something new has happened. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance." For us to do. Paul says that right now we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Right now we have been united with Christ. Notice that in these verses, Paul is not talking about something that God will do in the future after we die. That someday later we will be united with Christ. 
Paul is talking about something that God has done right now through our participation in baptism into Christ. God, right now in the church, has unified us together with Christ in the heavenly places. Right now, he has made us a people who are united with him and who live under his authority. This is all in the present tense. Already this has happened. In the heavenly places, we have been made pure. We have been forgiven. We have been made holy and are united with Christ. Right now, seated in the heavenly places with Christ. In these verses, Paul, I think, pulls back kind of the curtain of heaven a little bit and helps us to see what is true about life in the spiritual world. That we are a people, because of Christ, who have already been united with him. Paul then, in the second half of chapter 2, talks about how God is at work bringing people together under Jesus. In particular, Paul describes how people have been brought together, Jew and Gentile, under the authority of Jesus. The greatest religious and ethnic and cultural barrier that has ever existed, the barrier between Jew and Gentile, has been brought down in Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, God has made a way for all people, Jew and Gentile, to join together in worship. And God tells us that this unity that exists in the church between Jew and Gentile as we come together in worship has a great purpose of reflecting and displaying God's purpose for all things that we talked about at the beginning in Ephesians chapter 1. The verses that were read for us earlier, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, uh, Paul talks about the God's intention for the church. I'm going to read verses 10 through 11. Paul writes, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the life of the church, through our unity, however imperfect it might be in our concrete reality with what we can see with our eyes, God says that the rulers and authorities of the spiritual world see that unity and they come to understand what God's plan and purposes are for the end of time. When Ebenezer comes together to worship in all of our diversity, in all of our differences, when we come together in Jesus, by God's grace, we become an expression of, of the mystery of God's will. We become a concrete expression of God's plan and purposes for the end of time. When we come together under the authority of Jesus, the rulers and authorities of the heavenly places, Paul says, say, I see now what God is planning to do. A few years ago, I invited a friend of mine uh, who plays, uh, used to play baseball with me um, on my team, uh, he and another guy came and, uh, and joined us for worship on Sunday morning. And after worship, uh, we went and, and grabbed lunch. And as I was uh, uh, talking with him, uh, he said something like this. He said, as I was sitting in the back, and as I was surrounded by all of these people with gray hair, he said, I also looked up on the stage and I saw children uh, singing and leading them in singing. I think it must have been one of those Sundays when we have our kids up here singing. 
And he said, so as I was sitting back there, surrounded by all of these older people, and then looking around and seeing people from all over the world, I realized that something special was going on here. This work of bringing us in unity together is God's plan and purpose for the whole world. And here at Ebenezer, we are striving with the help of God's Spirit to live as an expression of this unity that God has already created in the heavenly places. And so in this last half of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4 through 6, Paul talks about how we are to do that. God has created this unity in the heavenly places, so how do we live now? How do we become a concrete expression of this unity so that the world can see and know what God's plan and purpose is for the whole world? This is what he be- how he begins Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of this calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of people who understand that they are a visible expression of the unity that God intends for all things. Live a life worthy of this calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul does not say that we need to create the unity. Paul says that we need to make every effort to keep it. God has already created it. He has already made it a reality in the heavenly places. It is our calling to keep it, to live it out here on earth. So this is what the whole second half of Ephesians is about. It's instructions on how to live our lives in very concrete and real ways, in ways that reflect this unity. Paul gives instructions about how we are to live together as husbands and wives. He gives instructions about how we're to live as parents uh, and as children. He gives us instructions about how to live as co-workers and masters and slaves and co-workers together. The church is called to live in a way that expresses this unity. We already know, the church already knows what the world does not yet know. We already know that God is working to bring all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation under Christ. We already know that. And so we are to live right now, to be patient with one another, to bear with one another, to persevere with one another, so that we can express this unity among us. The way that we act as a church and the way that we live together in the world, the way that we interact with one another and and choose to love one another, the goals and practices that we have as a church, what we choose to live for, how we choose to bear with one another in our various weaknesses. As we come together in worship, in all of these ways, we are participating in what God wants to do at the end of all things. And this is why I think that being a part of Ebenezer is such a unique experience. I think that this is why Ephesians itself came alive to me in a way that it would not have had I not had the privilege of being the pastor at this particular church. Here at Ebenezer, because of the diversity that does exist in our church, we begin to see a picture. We begin to get a foretaste of what God wants to do when the time will have reached its fulfillment.
in this local body of believers called Ebenezer Baptist, we are one concrete example of how God is bringing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and background under the unity of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to see, help us to see with your eyes what is real and true about us and about our lives. Help us to see that we are united together with you and with one another in the heavenly places to get a vision of that eternal plan and purpose that you have. And help us then by your spirit to live out that unity in our concrete relationships with one another. Help us to be patient with each other. Help us to bear with one another. Help us to receive the confession of other sins and to extend the grace and mercy of your Son, Jesus Christ, to one another. Lord, and as we do that, that we would be a people who stand when the enemy comes against us that we would know that our brother and our sister on our right and on our left standing with us together so that we may overcome all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We need your help first. and We need the help of one another. Lord, help us to see this in our lives, to embrace this in our lives. And Lord, that you would make Ebenezer Baptist Church more and more and more a concrete picture of what you plan to do when the times have reached their fulfillment. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.